second week of, and the greatest of these are love. Um, This teaching has changed quite a couple of times since I knew that I'd be speaking today, but that's nothing new. Um, On Monday it was brought to my attention that maybe I, I brought a bit of confusion with my message last week in a certain area, and I just need to clear that out or clear that up. Um, I said that there is no grace for me. I was quoting Paul in Philippians where he's in prison, and he says, you share in my grace. There's a grace when I'm in chains. There's a grace to defend the gospel. There's a grace to prove that the gospel is real. And I said there are three graces there, but there's no grace for the I. So maybe I didn't do a good job in explaining that. What I mean by that is there's no grace for doing things in the flesh. When your flesh needs to die and to be put down, God is not going to aid you with his unmerited favor in that area. Does that make sense? Do we get that? If you go to Kroger and you just time it absolutely perfectly because at 8 o'clock it's your favorite football game or soapy on television so you run through the aisles and you get everything you need and it takes you about 10 minutes to get home so 11 minutes to 8 you in the aisle and this lady just needs to ring up whatever you got and she makes a mistake and she and now you late you're going to miss your program there's no grace for the I the me the flesh part that needs to die when you're standing in Kroger If you want to know if there's a grace for what you're doing, put it this way. Is Jesus going to cheer me on in what I am doing right now? So if I stand there and I say to the lady, Oh man, I can see you've had a bad day. It's been a long day. Thank you for working. I appreciate everything you do for me. Take your time. I understand. Jesus would be standing next to you saying, Great, that's it. Go for it. Love bears all things. You have self-control. Bless all the time. He's aiding you in that. But if you look at the lady and say, oh, you sorry sack of, now I'm going to miss my program. Do you understand that I drove and Jesus is not going to be standing next to you say, go, my son, you give it to her. That's marvelous. He's not going to be doing that. So when I say there's no grace for I, it means the fleshly part of I or me that should be dead. Better explained? Okay, praise God. Moving on. Right, um, this message is called... What does hunger look like? Um, I want to talk about being hungry for God. Not necessarily the things of God, because so many times we get trapped by the enemy and we start looking or we hunger for the things of God instead of God, which is wrong. Because so many times you can get so sick, you can be in so much pain that you desire and you look and you search for healing instead of the healer. And we go after the wrong thing. You can be facing so many bulls and so many threats for your money that you go after prosperity instead of the one who prospers. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added. And many people are seeking the things instead of the king of the kingdom. So today we want to talk about and just look at a couple of people in the word who we can definitely learn from what it looks like to be hungry, but it's not talking about food. It's hungry for God. Um, On Wednesday night, we went to see the Heidi Baker movie, um, Compelled by Love, at the Bird Theater, and this teaching changed again after seeing the movie. 
while sitting there watching that, it's just so compelling, compelled by love. And uh, because we have good hearts, I believe many, many people were sitting there looking at that and we want exactly what Heidi has. And we're willing to say, man, I, I, I will leave everything. I'm willing to lay down and do exactly what that woman is doing. And I was sitting there and thinking of well, you know, what, what one can give up and so on. And Holy Spirit, teacher, comforter, counselor, wisdom, started teaching his, whoa, wait, just hold, hold back your horses. What if everyone in this movie theater tomorrow gets up and goes to Mozambique? Because we want to do what, we want to have what, we're ready to lay everything down. Where are the pastors going to be that are here tonight in the movie theater? Where are the homeschool moms going to be? Where are the teachers going to be? Where are the doctors and the lawyers who need to go into the world and bring the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ, into every area of the world? So because we have good hearts, we look at that and we say, I'm willing, I'll do it. And we should be willing, but we should find out exactly what we are called to do. Because if you see that and you want that, but you're not called to that and you go to Mozambique, it's a bad place. You don't want to be walking around there not called by God to go to Mozambique. And it's exactly for every job, every position that you fill. You need to, be, you need to know that God has placed me here. This is where His grace is for my life. Instead of seeing somebody else walking in their grace, finding out what part of the body they are and saying, Wow, I want that. We can't do that. So we're going to look at people in the Bible. So we're going to look at one... One verse here that's very interesting here, Song of Songs is a Song of Solomon, I've heard both, SOS, 4 verse 6, can we please put that up there, thank you, SG, whatever that is, so much in this verse, but I just want to look here, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Um, so much in this. Whether you believe in the rapture, whether you don't believe in the rapture, whether you believe in pre-trib, whether you believe in mid-trib, whether you believe in post-tribulation rapture, all of us believe that some or other time, whatever you believe, we're going to be with Jesus and it's all going to be good. So how you get there is not important right now. Okay? The fact, the truth is that one day, when the day breaks, when Jesus comes and all shadow, shadow is a bit of darkness. The sun can't shine on both sides of the tree, so therefore there's darkness, there's a shadow cast. There's going to be shadow darkness on the earth until Jesus comes and everything is ready. We're going to him, we're going to be with him, we're going to reign. Until then, I will go my way. Do you know your way to the mountain? Do you know how your path has been laid out to the mountain? There's so much in here. Mountain of myrrh. Myrrh is bitter. It's hard. Mountain. Frankincense. Sweet. There's always a hill. Seems like the mountains are bigger than the hills. But we'll do that in another teaching. But it says here that you have to know your way. And so many people don't. You don't know what part of the body you are. So you look at somebody else and you want to go their way to the mountain. And you're not called for that. And now life's not working and it's so hard and where's God? And I thought this and, and, and God is saying, listen, you're trying to be an I when I called you to be a nose. So find your way to the mountain. And there are two things here and, and it says your way. Your way means specifically your calling. 
your destiny, your created value as a foot, as a leg, as a head in the body, whatever you are. The second part is your way. How are you going to go by to get to the top of the mountain? Are you going to do it your way? Or are you going to allow God to have his way in you while you are going to the mountain? Because you can do it like Frank Sinatra says, I'll do it my way. I don't care what the pastor, I don't care what I'm just going, I'm, I'm going to the mountain. I don't need anyone else, I'm going to do it. Or you can have wisdom and say, I'm going to hear what God is saying through other people, my leaders, people over me. Is the Holy Spirit really telling me that this is the way I need to go to the mountain? But we need to find out what our way is to the mountain. Because if you don't know your way, life is going to be very hard. But then if you do find your way, you can go all the way. Because he's going to lead you. And the more hungry for God you are, the more of God you are going to get. And other people may look at you and say, man, that mountain is just, I don't know how you can do that. But because you're walking in his grace, you can say, he's called me to do this. I'm moving in his grace. And it's not as hard as what it seems to you because there's a grace for me to do this. So very important that we know our way to the mountain. We all have a calling and a destiny. And once we know, once we have a revelation, once we understand God's love for us, and this is, you hear it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, when you are this small, Jesus loves me, this I know. God's love. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God loves you. But if we truly, truly, truly understand, have a revelation of his love for us, it doesn't matter what road you have to take to get to the mountain. It's going to be the best road for you. And I don't have to doubt if he tells me, listen, it might look like there's going to be a couple of storms, but I will hold your hand through the storms. If you know that his love is there, he's always for you, never against you, well, let's go. God said, this is my road and his love for me is perfect. Let us go. No matter where he tells me to go, no matter what he tells me to do, there's going to be a grace for that. But we can only walk out that road perfectly when we know how much he loves us. Because on this road, on this way to the mountain, there will be trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Paul, who's locked up in prison, saying, man, you share in my grace. What grace is there? You've been beaten, you've been bitten by snake shipwreck. I don't want any of your grace. Thank you very much. Keep that to yourself. But he was walking in what God told him to do, and he said, this is good, this is my path, I can do it, and this is for your best that I'm doing this. So when we understand the love of God and those difficult times do come, we never have to go, God, where are you? Why? Why is this? I thought your word said, I've been praying, I've been, we can know. Lord, you told me this is it, we're going to get through this. You are my Lord, you love me, and your love is enough. And then we can walk forward. But it's because many of us don't understand and don't have the revelation. And you never get to a point in the revelation of the love of God where you can wake up one morning and say, oh, that's it. I don't need no more teachings on the love of God. I've got it down. Please don't tell me because I know everything about God's love. Never get there. His love is just more and more and greater and greater and deeper and deeper. So when we know how much He really loves us, therefore you don't have to get jealous when you're... Your coworker has taken your position or your promotion or, you know, you thought you had to get that and somebody else got it. Because you see, there is something that only you can do. 
and your co-worker cannot do that. So when they get the job or the promotion, bless them. Be thankful that they got that. Thank God that that was not for you. He's got something better for you. And this is not a cliche. Oh, God, I'm so happy for you. Oh, man. It's like, really, I know that God has something for me that only I can do. So you got this. God bless you in this. I hope you do so well and I hope you go forward. And may you be the best in this that you could ever be. Because God promoted you in this and he has something else for me. But when we are jealous, it's because we don't understand that that was not for me. My God and his love is so great and so big. I don't have the time of day thinking about the position I thought I should have got and I didn't get it. That doesn't change his love and who he is and who I am in his eyes. But the revelation of his love just takes our eyes off of these pretty little things over here and keeps it on him, the lover of our soul, the one that dances over us, the author and finisher of our faith. And we need to get that revelation of who God really is. Um, let's see. Turn to Numbers 12, please. He has a scripture that I always pointed my finger at very angrily. And this made me so angry. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Um, And the Lord heard it. Now... The man, Moses, was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Question, who wrote this? Who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. Now you want to talk to me about being humble. And you write. You the writer. And these other two are going to get it. God is now, you come to the temple, the tabernacle of meeting. I want to talk to you. And in there, just a little, you write. If you're, Moses was the most humble man on the, this is, man, that's being humble, Moses. You go, and that's why I got so angry at this. How can you be humble and then write so the whole world will know you're humble? You don't have to. But you know what? When I got the revelation of this, true humility is when you know what you are called to do and you do that to the best of your ability. And because you do it so well that other people see you and say, man, you are phenomenal in what you do, and you say, yes, it's my God. That's being humble. Moses wasn't writing here saying, I'm just so humble. That's the way I read it. That's why I got so angry. But then it was God who told him, you write these first five books. You put in there that I say of you that you are the most humble man up to then ever to walk on God's green earth. And would some of us not say, oh God, (laughs) no, it's too much. I can't do that. False humility. 
God called you to do this. He's anointed you. He's appointed you. You're the man to do this. And you say, it's too much. I can't do it. Give it to someone else. False humility. So true humility, like Moses, is to know what God has called you to do and to do that to the best of your ability. To be hungry for God in that area of your life so that people will look at you and give God all the glory. So today we're going to look at three people here, all in the same time span, and see how their lives were just a little bit different. I want to look at Exodus 32. We'll start in verse 15. This is after Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days. He's with God. You're going to read some verses here, sir. Verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shouts of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burnt it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you, that you have brought so great sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Wow. (laughs) That's that's amazing. (laughs) We've heard this before in the garden. Exactly in the garden. Adam, Adam, where are you? What, what do you do? It's the woman that you gave me. Don't even go there, Lord. Don't even think of looking at me. How dare you think that I could do something wrong? So here's Aaron, the high priest of God, called, anointed, and appointed. He's the one that went with Moses when they put down the staff and it turned into a snake and their snakes ate the Egyptian snakes. He's the one that was there seeing the blood, the everything. And now Moses comes and says, this sin is on your head. You were called by God as high priest to lead the people. This is your fault. What have you and I been called by God to do and we're not doing it that one day someone might say, you were called in this position, you should have been doing that and because you've messed up, look at the people. Each and every one of us have such a great calling, such a great destiny and God is there all the way leading and guiding. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. 
We don't have to watch a Moses go up into the mountain for 40 days and be left behind because the Holy Spirit is always with us. And God is always there leading and guiding. He's always good. He's always teaching. He's always leading us the way to go. But when he comes down, he says, what have you done? And he says, well, he says, you know these people. They are set on evil. All I did was I said, if you have gold, bring it to me. I didn't think they would really do it. And then the strangest thing, I just put the gold in the fire and this calf appeared. That's just the most amazing thing. That's Aaron, the high priest. That's his excuse. That is what he says. Look at the people. Question now. Was there a golden calf that they brought out of Egypt? Let's look at two verses where we will see how against golden calves God was and how there was not a golden calf that they physically brought out. Exodus 12, 12, God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Exodus 12:37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock went with them. So, if there was not a golden calf that they could look at, because you need a blueprint to make anything, they couldn't get the measurements, they couldn't follow a copy of something Where and how did they know to make the golden calf? Where was the golden calf? In their hearts. And whatever is on the inside of your heart, your spirit, is going to come out some other time. It just depends on the circumstance that you find yourself in. So they didn't just put the gold into the fire and the calf came out. They physically had to look on the inside and see what that thing looked like to make the template or the picture of what they saw back in Egypt that God was so against. But Jesus says later, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So these guys in their hearts after they've seen all the miracles of God, after everything God had done, after 40 days of not seeing Moses, this thing on the inside of them became greater than what God had done for them over the time of leaving them out. Let us never ever become a people where something on the inside of us is greater than God, His Word, His love, His power, His calling and destiny for us. That calf was on the inside of them. We heard that they they were taken out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't taken out of them. So they knew, even though there wasn't a picture or anything, they knew exactly what to do, where to get that calf. Then we'll look here at, um, uh, let's look at Joshua. And this is who we want to follow. Here's a guy. We don't hear too much about him. 
But it says that when they came down, what did he say to Moses? He's so new, he's, he's, he's learning, he's, he's doing what he can. Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Moses, the leader, he says, no, it's not war, you're misunderstanding. And when you are new at something, but you're so hungry for the things of God, God will place someone above you, God will put someone next to you, God will give you a leader that has the experience, that can teach you what you need to know so that you one day can walk as a leader in his steps. So he comes down the mountain, he says, man, what's that noise? Well, all of that, what, what is happening here? And Moses tells him what happens. Joshua, for 40 days, is not with the people in the camp. He's not within the safety of the many. But he's not in the glory of God. He's nowhere. By choice doesn't say that he took food. Moses up there for 40 days. For 40 days, I'm guessing he was fasting. He was just seeing and and hearing so close that he could see and know what the people were doing down there. But he says, I'm past that. Those days are gone. I'm not called to that anymore. I'm called to that over there on top of the mountain. That's my destiny. That's my calling. But I'm not there yet. But I'm striving for that. So if it takes me 40 days to see Moses talking with God and the thunder and the clouds, and I'm not there, but one day I'm going to be there, I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to stay here in the middle of nowhere with nobody else on this mountain with me but myself because I'm going to the top. And that is his attitude. That is his hunger. That even when the spies went out and they came back and they said, we can't do it. He was, no, no, no. God said, we are able. We are going to do it. There was a different spirit, the word says, on the inside of him. Do we have that spirit where we are willing to leave the masses, leave the parting, leave the golden calves, leave the safety, leave the people? Not yet being where God has called us to. There's a stirring on the inside of us. This is my call. This is, I know this is what I'm called to do. But man, I've still got quite some way to go, but it's worth it. It's worth to put that down, even though I'm not there yet, to just wait. Because I know, I know that one day, this being in the middle between my old life and not there yet is going to be so worth it that I'm going to put up with this. And it's not a putting up. It's my God. I'm keeping my eyes on the prize. Putting those things which are behind me, behind, leaving them there so that I may grab hold of that which he has called me to do. So here you've got three different people. Aaron, whose man, their fault, not me, don't look at me. The people, oh well, 40 days, this is so bad, make a calf. But we have Joshua who says, I'm willing to give everything to leave and forsake everything so that I can get what God has called me to do. We'll go to another part of Scripture. Um, Exodus 33, verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at the tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. 
And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped, each man at his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. See, all the people, they go, they inquire from God. Lord, we need, we need to hear what's the answer. And they go to the tabernacle of meeting where the presence is. And they leave and they go back to the tent. And then they watch Moses over there. And God is busy with him and they're inquiring. But they all go back. They just inquire and they come back. Joshua says, to inquire is not good enough. I cannot stay away from that presence. So he goes to the tabernacle of meeting. And it says it's far away from the camp. And he stays there. Once again, leaving everything else behind so that he can stay in the presence because that's where he chose to be. Moses went in and out, but this young man did not depart from the presence of God. You and I have a choice to go to the tabernacle of meeting whether you're driving in your car, whether you're in the classroom, whether you're in the boardroom, whether you're walking down the street, you and I today have a choice not to depart from the presence. That we don't have to leave and go back. And just when we need, we need to ask, we need to inquire, we go back and we find the presence. But we can live 24-7 in that presence all the time. And that's what this young guy chose to do. And what happened to this young guy? Let's read just a little bit on. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Now he's not on the middle of the mountain anymore. God is talking to him. He's got to a place now where I don't need to go to that place anymore. I don't need to hear from Moses. God himself speaks to me. So God speaks to Joshua. Look here, Moses' assistant. Wouldn't that be, God speaks to me, don't call me an assistant. And then verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. So here we have now this young man, the assistant, is now the one who God goes to and God speaks to him and he says, okay, all of that, Moses, do you think the people didn't know that Moses was dead? God comes and says, hey, Moses is dead. It's like, yeah, we've been crying, we've been, they knew Moses was dead, but he's now anointing this Joshua guy. 40 days on the mountain, away from the camp, he's saying, now you are the man. Moses is dead. All that time that you spent at the camp meeting, all that time in the middle of the mountain, it's now your time to walk in what I called you to do. And you will even go further. You will enter the promised land because Moses didn't do that. 
but it was all because of just Joshua saying his heart is so filled with the things and the love of God that he is willing to lay down everything to be able to reach that. And today for you and I, love himself is extending an invitation to you and to me to say, I love have given you a heart, a spirit. And with that heart and spirit, I have given you a free will. And you can fill that heart and that spirit up with whatsoever you desire. And I will not stop what you want that heart filled up with. And God, like all these people who had the golden calf, They had a heart that they could fill with God, but they didn't. They filled it with a calf. They filled it with the gods, other than the God. Aaron, the high priest, saw all those things, was chosen by God to lead the people, but he didn't. Joshua had the same heart, same wilderness, same place as all these other people. But yet this one guy chose to make a difference. This one guy chose to say, I'm not going to be with the rest and just go with the flow. I'm going to lay down everything no matter what it costs me so that I can get closer to God. That's God's invitation to each and every one of us today. Are we willing to be like a Joshua to say, man, Lord, I do not care. I'm, I leave the safety. I leave all of that behind so that I can just know him, the one who made and called me to be whatever you were called to do. And the more we walk in this, the more we realize how just amazing God is and what he's called. There's certain things that only certain people can do. You're called to be a part of the body. But then there are certain things that every one of us should do. And the more we start realizing the goodness of God, His love, and how He loves everyone, and how I can fill my heart with so much of Him that He just comes out, the more people around us are going to see that. And I was taught so many excuses why we can't get to God, and we can't all do that, and this is not for everyone, and you're not a just blah, 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 blah. Until I started getting in the Word and God started dealing with me to say, you put the own limitations on your life. If you can find out what part of the body you were, you can be so hungry that you're willing to wait 40 days without food. You will be fed with more than just food. And maybe about three weeks ago now, I went to the ladies' prison and uh, busy with a class. I don't have much to do with the guards other than when you go through, they check you, they write your name down. But when I'm in the class and I teach, I don't speak to them. They don't come in the class. It's just 20 ladies or 20 men in the class. And as I'm busy teaching, one guard bursts in the door and she runs to the vending machine at the back. And she says, oh, she's a terrible heartburn. And she runs to the machine and she gets a drink. And I, th- I thought she said heartburn. I wasn't, couldn't hear clearly. And another lady who I prayed for, I told you about the knee, God healed her knee. She said, ah, I think she's got heartburn. You know, like that. But it's a God. I'm not allowed to do anything. But in any case, this lady turned around and you could just see the, the pain that she was in. She turned around. I said, excuse me, ma'am, did you say heartburn? She said, oh, man, acid reflux. It's just, oh, and you could, and if you've ever had that, you know exactly what that is. And she was just... 
Now I stand there and I think to myself, not the right place, not the right place. You know, there's so many things that go through your mind. But I, I've just come to see that Jesus just wants everyone well. <laughs> That's just it. There's no, I said to her, do you want that to go away? She said, how are you going to do that? I said, I'll pray for you. Jesus will take it away. He wants you well. I didn't think about, what if it doesn't work? Man, am I going to look like a fool? What if they come in and they arrest me for praying for someone I'm not allowed? You know, all the, I just said, man, Jesus wants you well. So she said, oh, I'll, I'll come back later. I've got to leave. I can't do that now. And she left. She was lying. She lied to me. And in times past, I was taught that you can't lie and do things like that and expect the grace of God to heal you. I was taught that. So she comes back 20 minutes later, nearly kicks in the door. And she bursts into the class and she runs in and she looks at me and she says, What did you do? I said, It's gone, isn't it? She said, What did you do? I said, ma'am, I did nothing. He did everything. And she came back. Now, she said, you know, she's not allowed to be there. She's got nothing to do with our class. She mustn't be there. She came back in. Everyone there, she says, I got into my truck to leave. So she lied when she said, I will be coming back. She was not telling the truth. She said, I will come back after class. She said, when I got to my truck to leave, I just realized it's not there anymore. So I had to come back. So she came back and told the story, and she is just absolutely speechless. Yes, she lied. Yes, she didn't tell the truth, but Jesus is greater than that. And last week when I went back, she met me at the door, and she just gave the whole story again. Man, you remember? I said, no, it's all him. It's Jesus. And by his grace, he gives us a heart. And he says, you can fill that with whatever you want. And I've sat under teachers who have been telling me about the goodness of God and teaching the truth of God's love that covers a multitude of sins, that God's grace that is greater than the wrongdoings of man. And he just took someone's pain away, just there and then, just because he loved them. And we have that invitation today. When I was praying about this message and it changed and kept on changing and kept on, God just said at the end of the service, tell them me, I love, and the greatest thereof is love, me, love itself. I'm giving you an invitation today to say that your heart can be filled with whatever you want it to be filled. It's your choice, and I'm not going to stop with whatever you want to fill it with. Obviously, I want you to fill it with me, but that's your decision. And we can be like Joshua. We can leave the safety of the people. We can go onto that mountain with no one around us, and it may be lonely for a time when no one... Everyone's talking about Moses who's not there. Forget Joshua. There's not one word mentioned about Joshua. Where's Joshua? Did anyone? It's not, where's Moses? Moses, Moses. He didn't hold that against the people. Not, they're not calling after me. But then the day came when God spoke to him and said, Now you take these people. And God wants to speak to you and I and say, Now you take these people and what I've called you to do and lead them into the promised land. 
So we're going to pray. We're not going to come to the front. Just in your chair where you are. Just open your heart as much as you want God to fill it. As much as you want to be filled with the things of God. And just say to him, Lord, I'm here. He sees your heart. doesn't need to see anything else. He sees your heart and he wants to fill it. So, Father, we come now with humble, open hearts to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us with yourself. We give our spirits, our hearts to you because we don't want anything else in here but you, your love. We thank you, Lord, for today inviting us, giving us an open invitation to say, I love, invite you once again that I will come in, I will suck, I will feed with you, I will show you things to come if you want me in there, if you're willing to go 40 days on the half side of the mountain, I will show you and I will bring you places that you could not even imagine. Just where you are, just invite him. You are saved, you are going to heaven, but you hunger for more than him. Just ask him to fill that hunger.